So I was in high school at our church building. We had a, a youth room, and in that youth room, we had some really nice furniture. One of those chairs in that room was a recliner. I delivered papers for the dispatch for four years. Sunday mornings, I got up extra early, took care of the paper out, got to the church building, went in, and the recliner was available. I popped into that baby, and I reclined. <laughs> I remember distinctly the teacher saying toward the end of the class, well, Steve, I hope we didn't disturb your sleep too much. And I thought, well, you know, I wasn't really sleeping. I was just uh, examining the inside of my eyelids, making sure everything was good there. So, uh, you know, that was kind of an embarrassing moment. I I was a little too comfortable. I was asleep. I should have been paying attention. The series that we're starting today is exactly that. You know, sometimes we as followers of Jesus, we get frustrated with what's going on in our world. We get upset with the way things are going. And we think, how can the world do that? Well, the church, I'm sorry, the world is just going to be asleep in the dark. That's the reality of their situation. The greater problem is that the church is asleep in the light. And we need to wake up. So we're going to talk about some topics that are hard these next four weeks. We're not like super excited, like, yes! Um, But these topics are really important. Today we're going to talk about eternity and what God says about it. We need to wake up to eternity, church. We're going to ask three questions. We're going to do a little bit of answering of them, but honestly, the answers need to come from the Word, and it's going to be on us, each of us, to wrestle with these things. We can't answer everything here today by any means. It's in those times, though, of messiness in our faith when we wrestle with tough things that God shows up and he helps us figure things out. So today, we're going to have three questions. Jim's going to do one, Jordan's going to do one, I'm going to do one. Just follow along. Let's see what God has to say about eternity. So Jim, give us us going. Well, my question is, um, what is heaven and what is hell? And maybe better stated, it would be, what does the Bible say about heaven and hell? And before we answer that, it's important to note this. The Bible is not a cafeteria plan of benefits. In other words, we can't say, well, I'm going to take these and I'm going to leave these off the table. I don't like those. And we really can't say, we can't say, I really like the whole grace and forgiveness part. And I really like that part about getting rid of bitterness and clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, taking care of the the poor. But I don't like the part about hell. And so I'm going to leave that part out. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, written under the inspiration, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's either all inspired or not at all. And we're instructed to not add to it in several places. The strongest place is actually where I'll camp out a little bit this morning, and that's in Revelation. Revelation 22, 18, 19, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. In other words, we need to leave the Bible speak as it speaks and not change it. Hebrews 9.27 sums it up like this. People are destined to die once and then they will face judgment. People often say, you know, I don't know, but Jesus, he was so kind, he, he, didn't, he wouldn't necessarily be for the heaven and hell part. 
And Jesus actually talked about judgment a lot. Dr. John Blanchard notes of the 1,870 verses recording the words Jesus spoke, 13% are about judgment and hell. Jesus spoke more about these two topics than any other. Of the 50 parables Jesus told, more than half of them relate to God's eternal judgment of sinners. So we can accept the good parts, but we also have to accept the parts we don't like. And I'm just going to offer a disclaimer. I am grossly simplifying a very difficult topic right now that generates a lot of discussion. Not everybody's in agreement on exactly how everything will unfold at the end, but there's vast, massive agreement on what heaven's going to look like and what hell's going to look like. So I want to address the heaven and hell that we're talking about today. When we die, we go to an intermediate state of paradise or Hades. We're in a spirit state. Our physical bodies are in the grave and our fate is sealed. The saved are with Jesus in paradise in the heavenly realm. So that's all good. Paradise is awesome, but it's going to get way better. The unsaved are in Hades in torment. In Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment and declared, I am in agony from this flame. And that's in Luke 16. At Jesus' second coming, on the final judgment day, Jesus will gather all people, the great and the small, as the Bible says, the dead and those alive at that time, and He will separate out the saved from the lost. This is in Revelation 20. The saved will go on to live on the new earth. The old earth as we know it today, it will be gone and will be reunited with good bodies for eternity. The new heaven and new earth is referenced or alluded to multiple, multiple times throughout the, the Bible, even in the Old Testament, but it's very clear in 2 Peter 3, 10-13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But hear this. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So the lost, though, will go to hell for eternity. Why the judgment day when our fate is sealed is beyond the scope of this sermon. But that is what will happen. It will be a public vindication of God's impartial judgment. What I'm going to briefly describe is the heaven and the hell after the final judgment. So what does the Bible say about hell? It says a lot. Revelation 21.8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, this doesn't mean that if you've done any of those things, you can't be forgiven. This is, this is talking about people who have never repented and accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Matthew 25.41 says, and this is Jesus' words, then He will say to those on His left, depart from Me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So what we'll see from what we know from heaven and what we know from the Bible is that hell will be a place of fire, foul smell. One of the worst things is God will not be there. His presence will be gone. There will be darkness. The Bible also talks about there will be gnashing of teeth. 
So what does the Bible say about heaven? Again, much is written, but we learn a lot from John's vision. And again, there's some symbolism in here. But Revelation 21, 1-6 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautifully a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Who who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. God will dwell with us. That's one of the biggest things on the new heaven and the new earth. It will be the place of no mores. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. Revelation 7, 16 and 17 promises there will be no more hunger, no more thirst or excessive heat. And then Revelation 21, 22 through 27, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Based on this passage and on others in the Bible, we know that heaven is going, the new earth is going to have mind-blowing, indescribable beauty. There will be total beauty there. There will be no darkness. There will be total safety. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in a place for eternity where God will dwell with us. There are no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more fear, no thirst, no more hunger or thirst, no more darkness, just purity and indescribable beauty. A lot of us know the difference between heaven and hell. Maybe it's vague differences. And you know, one of my favorite questions to ask students is, what do you look forward to in heaven? We don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about what's exciting to think about in heaven. You know, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, things like that. I can't wait to see this person. I can't wait to see that person. We may be understanding those different things. And maybe some of us would say, well, I'm excited Michigan won't be there. But, you know, let's leave that one aside. But, uh, you know, there, there are things that we can get excited about and things we can talk about. But, you know, this this isn't necessarily a fun subject to talk about, right? You know, we, we might not have studied the details that, that Jim brought, but we generally know enough to kind of contrast the two. The issue is that it's still ignored. This, this topic, this, this reality is still ignored. And, and speaking to a lot of people about this recently, this subject has, has led us to try and answer uh, a question that many people in, in today's day and age are asking. 
because we have this idea of fairness. We have this idea of this is what thing, the way things should be in our own minds, acting like we know better. And the question is, why do people go to hell? Why does this happen? If God is a loving God, then how could anyone be sent to a place of torment for eternity? And this question is going to come from a lot of people right now, uh, again, because we're living in this culture of, I know better, I know how, I, I know how things should be, I know what's fair, because it's my truth. While that exists in our culture, we also have to recognize the truth of Scripture, and because we believe in Christ, we believe in the Scripture and what it says. And you may be even asking this question yourself, you know, why do people go to hell? Why, why does this even exist? And, and while we're asking this question, maybe, maybe the better question, instead of why do people go to hell, maybe the more legitimate question is, why doesn't Jesus just save everyone? Doesn't he have the power to do that? Can he just take care of everything and save everyone and send everyone to heaven? Why is there even a hell? Why should it have to exist if Jesus can save and and change everyone with a very different snap than what we've been hearing about recently? Uh, Here's the very quick answer to that question. He did. (laughs) He did save everyone. The issue is not everyone accepts it. Salvation is something that is freely given. The price has been paid. Everything has been taken care of but it has to be received. John 5, 24 says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Hear the word and believe. This this is accepting the pardon that God gives. The apologist William Lane, Lane Craig writes this, But like a presidential pardon, divine forgiveness must be freely accepted in order to be efficacious. U.S. courts have ruled that a pardon cannot be forced on a criminal. He must accept it in order for it to have its effect. The president cannot, under existing law, make a full pardon effective without the consent of the prisoner. The latter must be willing to receive and accept the full pardon before it can be put into effect. That's why, prior to his pardon of Richard Nixon, President Ford sent a secret emissary to Nixon to ensure that he was willing to accept both the pardon and the guilt implied by it. There are two things that that happen when we hear the word, when we hear the truth. We recognize that one, we are imperfect and therefore guilty. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We have to confess our sins and we have to say, yes, I am guilty. And we have to recognize that truth. But we also have to accept the pardon and the freedom that he gives. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, To all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What we have to understand is that if life were truly fair, if things were truly fair, then none of us would be able to reach heaven. But because of Christ, 
we have this opportunity to accept. And the truth is that God desires everyone to be saved. That's why he took care of all of it. He wouldn't have done that if that wasn't the case. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Because of this, he's already taken care of things. But because he loves us completely, enough to give us free will, we have the opportunity to respond. The truth is that heaven wouldn't be a place we would want to be if it were filled with a bunch of people that don't want to be with God. That's what it looks like here. Uh, So it seems as if the song, Ooh, Heaven is a Place on Earth, was wrong. (laughs) It would look a lot like where we're at right now. So God, being fully loving and fully good, offers a solution for our condition. And this is not a fun thing to talk about. This is not a fun question to answer. It's, it's not something that we'd bring up at a party. <laughs> but it's something that we need to be aware of. We have to wake up about the reality of heaven and hell. So, so what's the answer? Why do people go to hell? Why doesn't Jesus just save everyone? Because they don't believe. They don't accept it. They don't accept a free gift. They haven't accepted the word of God. And maybe it's going to take a softening of a heart. Maybe it's going to take a lot of time and prayer and relationship. But they haven't accepted the word of God. And here's the deal. Knowing about this, knowing about the people around us, this should keep us awake at night. Knowing the truths that Jim talked about, knowing the situations in our families and with our friends, this should keep us awake at night. This is an opportunity for us to speak to people, to freely give people life. And that's kind of what Steve's going to dive into now. Yeah, so thanks, Jordan, and thanks, Jim. What about people that don't know Jesus then? What about them? Just real briefly, the good news is not only about rescuing people and saving them from hell. The good news is also about making an impact here on earth. And, and we gotta, we got to keep that in mind. Because we should be looking and living like Jesus here on earth, and we should be loving God, and that should make an impact in our world. But primarily, the good news of Jesus is about us being rescued. It's about salvation. We don't have full access. None of us have full access to God's mind. We don't have access to what Jim already referenced, the Lamb's Book of Life. No person is declaring, this person is going to heaven and this person is going to hell. That's God. God knows our hearts. What we do have access to is the word of God, which we continuously talk about. And what God's word says is the final authority, not any person. Francis Chan in the book Erasing Hell says, part of me doesn't want to believe in hell. I'll have to admit I have a tendency to read into scripture what I want to find. Knowing this, I've prayed God would prevent me from twisting scripture to gratify my preferences. Don't believe something just because you want to. Test your assumptions against the precious words God gave us in the Bible. Well, the Bible says anyone can be rescued, as we've talked about, but it has to be through Jesus. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, there is no name under heaven by which we can be saved, only the name of Jesus. And even that most familiar passage of the New Testament, John 3, 16, 
God loved the world so much he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. So anyone can be rescued, but it has to be through Jesus. Again, God wants everyone to be saved. That's God's heart. But, but guess what? God doesn't get his wish on this one. God wants us to be saved way more than we want ourselves or anyone to be saved. But God doesn't get his heart on that because the Bible tells us not everyone goes to heaven. And I think we understand, okay, if somebody hears about Jesus and they reject it, fine. What about the person who doesn't hear? Again, we're not going to answer every theological question here today, but listen to it again, Francis Chan says in Erasing Hell. What about the man in the jungle who never had the opportunity to accept Jesus? He lived as best he could, and if he had heard the gospel, he probably would have believed it. Will God save such a person? Everything in me wants to say yes. But here's the problem. There's nothing in Scripture that says that anyone will be saved apart from faith in Jesus. Romans 1, 18 through 22 says that all people have been given general knowledge that there is a God, and yet all people reject this knowledge and are therefore without excuse. God can save whoever he wants, however he wants, but he always does this through the one avenue he paved himself, his son, Jesus. Yes, we've heard stories of people living in places where there is little or no exposure to the gospel, and yet people come to Christ. While God has used dreams and visions to reach people, we should not depend on such means to reach the unreached. In scripture, people are normally saved through a human messenger. There are still 1.5 billion people who have never heard the gospel. God makes it clear that it's our responsibility to go to them. I thought he just, he he summarized it pretty well. So when we come to the end of this, we have to ask two questions. First question is, do I believe this? Do I believe that the only way to assure eternity with God is through Jesus? Do I believe this? Again, anyone can be rescued, but only through Jesus. Do you believe this? Like Jim said, you can't just take parts of the Bible you want. It's not a buffet. It's the whole thing. That leads us to our second question. Do you care? Do I care? Do we love people enough to share the good news with them? Because if you believe it and you care, you will. Now, I know we think, okay, how do I reach 1.5 billion people? Well, you don't have to. Your responsibility is to reach the people wherever God places you with the good news of Jesus. It's one heart at a time. So think about this. Who knows the good news of Jesus in your life? Who knows that? Who are you glad knows that? But who doesn't? Is it your child? Your parent? Your spouse? A neighbor? A friend? A coworker? Fellow student? Picture the face of a person who does not know. In your mind right now, picture their face. If you need to close your eyes, do that. I don't care. It's fine. Picture that face. Do you care about this person enough to tell them about Jesus? Romans 10, just real quickly as we close. 
starting in verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is great news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? See, the church is on a rescue mission. You are part of that. So bring the good news. Tell people, go. Our vision statement is to reach people around us and to love them genuinely, wherever they are. And then together to imitate Jesus, to to walk in life together following Jesus and keep doing that. And it says this is the personal responsibility of everyone who follows Jesus. In a couple of days, it's going to be 9-11. And that day always reminds me to be thankful and grateful for the people who run into the burning buildings when everyone else is running out. And if we, church, are on a rescue mission, that means we run into lives, sometimes lives that are on fire. We run into those lives with the good news, with rescue messages for them. You know, when the day of judgment comes and we're standing before God, I'm very, very grateful that I'm going to be covered by the blood of Jesus because I do not deserve to be with God. One of my big fears is that somebody I know is going to be there who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus. And they're going to look over at me and they're going to say, you knew this? And you didn't tell me? I thought you cared about me. I don't want to take chances with someone as eternity. I want to rely on what God has told us, that Jesus is the one who saves us, and that we have the opportunity to share that message. So church, let's wake up about eternity. Let's share the good news. Let's take God's light into a world that's dark and broken, and let's love people relationally. And let's share truth and let's help however we can. You know, when the church wakes up, things are going to change. Lives are going to change. Hearts are going to change. It's going to start with ours. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to your heart of passion for every person. May we care for people the way that you do. God, remind us of the reality of eternity and the rescue that's available only through Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent him and help us to love that same kind of way. Shine in us and through us, we pray in his name. Amen. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then today's a great day to do that. Or if you just want to pray, you can come up front and do that as well. But let's give honor and glory to God as we celebrate the fact that he has provided rescue for everyone who would place their faith in him.
This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.